Welcome, folks, to another episode of Who's Ghost Stories. I'm Andrew Huzar from Huzar Reiki and Readings. We've got our research expert, Sean, and paranormal enthusiast and cryptid expert, Professor Alex Wheaton. Um, as you can tell by the set, this little mini-series is going to be nautical-themed. We're looking at haunts of mostly Lake Erie and Presque Isle, but there is one of a different Great Lake. Um, so we're going to be taking some lake days here, and we're even going to finish this little mini-series with our first travel episode. So keep watching. A few weeks, we're going to go somewhere. Uh, before we get started, I just wanted to mention we do have a sponsor, Spirit Magica. They're an online crystal shop. Um, they deal mostly in sets. You can get individual crystals, but they sent us this nice fluorite crystal ball and point and amethyst point set with some mini crystal balls and some jacks or die. We haven't decided what those are yet. Um, but a nice big ball, nice crystals. They're very sharp and pointy. Um, I've gotten other sets from them before, and they're all really good. They run a lot of sales, so I'll put a link down in the description. Go there. Anything you order with our link in the coupon code, we get a little percentage. So if you want to support our ghost adventures, well, that's trademarked, our little ghost... Our little orb guy adventures. Exactly. Go there, buy some crystals. Forewarning, before I get any angry messages, they're based out of China. So right now, with the way the world is, shipping can take a little while. But other than that, they do have some great stuff. Go buy, support us. So, without further ado, we're going to jump into today. We're talking about a rather famous... Probably, that's rolling away. Probably the most famous, or sought after at least, ghost ship... Marquette and Bessemer number two. Sean, take us away. The SS Marquette and Bessemer number two was built in 1905 for the Marquette and Bessemer Dock and Navigation Company. The train ferry was built by the American Shipbuilding Company of Cleveland, Ohio, with the purpose of transporting rail cars from Conneaut, Ohio, to Port Stanley, Ontario. The ship was nicknamed the Car Ferry by locals. The ship set sail mid-morning on December 7, 1909, taking its regular five-hour route towards Port Stanley. On this day, the ship was heading towards a fierce storm with sustained winds of 75 miles per hour and a temperature of 10 degrees. There have been conflicting stories of what happened next and where the ship was last seen. It was reported that the ship was sighted in Port Stanley around 6 p.m., with the ship unable to dock due to the wind speeds. There were reports of the ship's whistle being heard as well on both the Canadian and U.S. shorelines. On December 10th, a field of debris matching the color of the Marquette and Bessemer No. 2 was spotted west of Long Point, Ontario. In the coming days, debris washed ashore along the banks of Canada and the U.S. from Conneaut, Ohio to as far as Buffalo, New York. On December 12th, a lifeboat was spotted roughly 15 miles offshore of Erie, Pennsylvania, containing the frozen bodies of nine crew members and the clothing of a tenth. Over the next year, five additional bodies were discovered, the final body being that of the Captain Robert McLeod, who was found near the Canadian shoreline on October 7, 1910. Mysteriously, his body had slashing wounds that matched two large knives and a meat cleaver that were found in the possession of the steward, George R. Smith, on the lifeboat. To this day, the rest of the ship has not been discovered. 
Lake Erie is the shallowest of the Great Lakes, with a maximum depth of 210 feet. It is said that on a clear day, the remains can be seen from the air, but it has not been found in the water. There have been over 100 reported shipwrecks on Lake Erie, with the SS Marquette and Bessemer No. 2 being the most mysterious of them all. Though the remains of the ship have not been found, there have been sightings of the Marquette and Bessemer No. 2 along the shores of both Ashtabula and Erie County. It is said that the ship's whistle can be heard followed by the crew of the lost seamen, the cries of the lost crewmen. One account states that on December 4th, 1909, Sarah Clancy of Erie had dreamt that a ship was going to sink in a storm and she could hear her brother crying for help. Nobody would listen to her warning and it was waved off as just a nightmare. Sarah's brother, John Clancy, was one of the men on the SS Marquette and Bessemer No. 2 on the day of its final voyage. Is the train ferry still traveling across Lake Erie? Will the remains ever be spotted? These are questions that we may never know the answers to. The one thing that is known for certain, the SS Marquette and Bessemer No. 2 is the holy grail of shipwrecks in Lake Erie and will remain a legend for another hundred years. So, um, one thing that makes it like the holy grail of shipwrecks is I read there were two cat. Well, there were there's a, possibly a small treasure on the ship. Um, one there was a man from Erie. He was the treasurer for um, fish governing body. I forget the exact name of it, but he had fifty thousand dollars in a leather briefcase. Um, that was cash, so I imagine that would have deteriorated immediately. It might not have, but that's probably gone. But a According to rumors, there was a safe on the ship that had coins that were up to $50,000. So that is one of the things that a lot of people are trying to find, not just for the historical significance, because I guarantee almost any maritime museum along Lake Erie would love to have a part of this boat, or the boat itself. Um, but anyone that has a lot of money or is a treasure hunter, probably looking for those coins from early 1900s late yeah. 1800s roughly fifty thousand dollars worth that's it's a lot of money yeah uh, and with the storm too i read um that according to the legend like the temperature dropped like what was it like nearly 30 to 40 degrees within less than a yeah. day um it was it in, in the morning, it was roughly about 40 degrees, but then um, due to this storm, it dropped to about 10 degrees. Yeah, and anyone that lives near the lake, or if you don't live near the lake, it's windy already, but in Erie, when there's a temperature drop that bad, the wind picks up immensely. And so. we're talking, you know, 70 mile per hour headwinds. Yeah. So. Um, and the one thing that I found interesting, too... Um, there is a website dedicated to the Marquette Investment Number 2, and apparently the captain had complained to the owner multiple times that they needed a stern gate. Yep. Because when the waves would hit, it would already take on water. So if you guys have ever seen uh, a ferry, basically the back gate opens. Well, on this one, there was no stern gate. So one of the uh, the theories is, is with the, the winds and the high waves... 
basically the water washed onto the boat and um, either caused the the boilers to go out, so basically they couldn't steer the ship, or the fact that the ship itself actually capsized. Well, and you've already got train cars full of coal. Yeah. That ship's heavy as it is. It's not going to take much water to start pulling that thing under. Yeah. I'll say uh, the wonderful science behind why our temperature drops so much is actually uh, the location of Lake Erie and our region is actually a very unique meteorological thing. Uh, We are right at the end of a a curve in the jet stream. So we get all the wind from the Pacific Ocean and the jet stream just flies across the country and its turn starts right about where Lake Erie is. Oh, I did not so know that. that's why we get those crazy strong headwinds because the jet stream is pulling it. We also get um, tropical weather coming from the south, which is why we have those conflicting weather all the time and stuff like that. So yeah, the Lake Erie is in a very unique position as far as... Uh, weather, but the other thing definitely about this, um, I, I know of the name of the ship simply because um, I I know some people who are really into uh, shipwrecks, especially here in Lake Erie, and yeah, this it, it's something unique about Lake Erie. Not that other lakes don't have shipwrecks, but. Lake Erie is considered like the shipwreck lake of the Great Lakes. It's, it's got so much, and for despite its size, and so that this is just, it's something interesting and unique, and I like this idea, and I'm sure it's it's been done before, but uh, seeing it from the sky on a clear day, I I would really like to see like images of that because that would be really cool. Well, and that's the thing too. Um, it's been said that. They're pretty sure that the the actual shipwreck is closer to um, uh, Port. I think it is closer to Port Stanley, but it's claimed that the spot where you can see the ship from the air is closer to Conneaut, hmm. and the place where it's you know visible from the air supposedly is roughly water that's only about sixty feet deep. It's even interesting. More right? interesting. And and nothing's been found. I was going to say, yeah, anyone that knows anything about uh, ship development, whether it's uh, large or not, a car ferry is well over 60 yes. feet. Yeah, and I think, because um, the one website had the diagram, like the schematics, and I didn't understand all the blueprints, but I was able to find out that the ship itself was 350 feet long. Yeah. So, I mean, that wouldn't, it'd be easy to see. So, I mean, the fact that it's still, once wow. you get on the water. That also explains why the, the, debris, the debris field was so large, because that's a lot that's of shit. That's a lot of shit to just kind of float. And I I didn't know, um, like, where it was saw was closer to Conneaut, um versus where it went down. But that kind of makes, it doesn't make sense. But in regards to the legend, like you said, there's reports that it went down near the one port and it went down near the other because the one website I was reading on it was there are reports of it simultaneously being at both ports and being seen and so that's even crazier that you can see it from one spot but it supposedly went down near the other spot yeah and 
and so the they're not sure what happened because obviously it set sail on December the 7th no wreckage was found from December until December the 10th some people have theorized that basically the ship kept going back and forth trying to find a place to stop so it was going back and forth from you know basically Kania to Port Stanley Ontario so going from Canada to the US repeatedly for two days and it's only a five hour trip yeah so it's like something happened to the crew was the ship just going back and forth what was happening I'll say well that gets into the the entire the, the captain's body being found like outside of the to the slashing marks of of two what two large knives and a meat cleaver. Yep. That that, that implies and the ship's steward had both the, those on yeah, him. Like th- there's some very strong implications that something was going wrong on the ship. But I do want to point out just from a completely biological standpoint, almost a year later, the captain's body being found. Mm-hmm. Number one, I'm impressed that bloating didn't make it too hard to tell because of the water because that does the only reason they were able to identify him was a tattoo that said mcleod his brother identified it so that well that answers that question (laughs) um the thing that i like the most is is the uh the lifeboat site yes um like we said, nine nine of the crew members had frozen to death on the ship, um, and it's also rumored that the clothing of the tenth man had frozen, and it looked like the body had actually just been removed from the clothing. Yeah, like the shirt was. So tucked the shirt in. was tucked into the pants. It was still like propped up, like there was a body in it. Like socks were in shoes. Like it 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 froze, and it looked like the person just disappeared from the clothing, which does make me wonder what happened to that that body because i don't think that crew is going to grab the clothes of a 10th person and take him to a lifeboat boat like uh, that had to have been somebody yeah but what happened to that person um you know i could imagine with it being that cold that they slipping out of their clothes into the water and the clothes freezing, but like I can't see the clothes freezing. Him falling out of the clothes and them still looking like there was a person in him. Yeah. Um, only thing I could think of is if it was more of like a jumpsuit type thing, but nothing ever reported them as having jumpsuits. No, and it it specifically said a shirt tucked yeah. into pants. Like, um, my thought process is is maybe hypothermia started to slip in. Because whenever hypothermia starts, you actually start feeling like you're overheating. Yeah. So he probably stripped out of his clothes and tried to jump in the water to cool off. And obviously drowned or, you know, froze to death. Um, But still, like, not fun. Not fun. Not the way to go. No. And I really... it, It... We'll never get the answers, but, like, I would love to know why the captain 
the knife, the marks matched knives that the steward had in the lifeboat. And also, the other lifeboats were never found. Well, they were found. They just weren't found with other people. <laughs> um, the debris that was actually found in um, Buffalo, New York, it was one of the lifeboats, and it had pretty much been snapped in half. Um, some of the remains were actually found at Niagara Falls. Like, um, I know one of the other lifeboats, parts of it were found on the Canadian shore. And then I think the third um, parts of it, like the pontoons to it, were actually found in uh, Conneaut, I believe. I know that those are the three locations. I don't know for sure about the Canada and the Conneaut, but um, those were where the other lifeboats were, which was funny because I read that too, that none of them were found. It's like, no, (laughs) they're documented. (laughs) I like for this one that there is a list of the crewmen that were on the ship because mm-hmm. it obviously it did historically happen but that also lends like the additional like historical accuracy to it but it also whenever a ship goes down like the USS Arizona and Hawaii that's regarded as those crewmen's like final resting place so having a list of the crewmen that were lost on board makes it more of like a cemetery for them mm-hmm. like their families and could the, mourn their descendant, any descendants. And there were roughly about 33 people on the ship, but only, what, 10, 14 four, bodies were ever found? Yeah. And going back Five. to, like, what you said with the captain being found with the bloat, like, it's also, like, it, nothing said how much of him was found, whether it was just part of his torso, like, whatever it was that I could find, but, like, that no fish ate him. Like, I know we don't have any, like, real big carnivorous fish, but we do have sturgeon. We do have other, like, meat-eating fish, that would, carp that would nibble on them. It would come down to how much of the body was actually found, because they'll eat it. Yeah, <laughs> they'll eat parts of it. So if all that was found was a torso, it's very possible that there were arms and legs and a head before. Because it's been, again, it's almost an entire year since since they found the first set of bodies and it's like yeah that's his washes up with the slash marks which when I was reading it at first before I got to where the autopsy said they matched the knives and cleaver I was immediately thinking like oh those are from a fish or those are from the accident but then when it matches the knives it brings that extra mystery of what happened in those final moments yeah steward and captain get into a little arguing match Fighting over the lifeboat. That could very well have happened if the other three were gone or had already been like lost or destroyed in that last lifeboat. Stinks for the captain because one guy ended up bailing out of it anyways. Um, and I think, I think too, I don't know if it was one of the guys on the boat. The first mate was actually the captain's brother as well. Yeah. And then his other brother is the one that ID'd him by the tattoo so it was the captain and then his first mate was his brother which I don't I don't know if he was one of the lifeboat people or not I don't think his well I'm not sure I, I know the one list had asterisks yeah. for who was identified on the, the lifeboat I can't remember if he was on there or not no 
but it's interesting and crazy, especially two days before that lady has the night, uh, the premonition or the nightmare of the ship going down and her brother dying with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, that's... I was going to say, this was also, you know, almost a hundred years before Final Destination, so, uh... Not much you can do to change fate there. No. No, but that's just crazy. And then it to happen and hear the whistle and the cries. And then making it a ghost ship. You know, like you said, people still hear the whistle and the cries. But did you find anything where, like, people actually saw the ship sailing still? Or was it just the whistles and sounds? So it's been said that um, they'll see the outline of the ship on the horizon. And um, which, you know, I don't think people really realize how many ships actually are in Lake Erie at any given time. There's a reason why it it has, you know, over 100 shipwrecks. It's because it's, it's that much traffic. And, you know... A lot of, well, mom would tell us all the time about how she would take a ferry from the peninsula to downtown, you know, Erie. How many other, you know, ferries are there? Because there used to be a ferry, and I think there still is, that goes from the peninsula to Canada. So it could be a mistaken, you know, as another ship. Or, as Andrew hilariously found out... I was going to say the SS Marquette and Bessemer number two, number two. Number two. <laughs> there, they did make a second Marquette and Bessemer number two. Same name, nothing added to it. I didn't I didn't read up too much on it, but I well, am Don't assuming... say nothing added to it. I'm sure yeah. there was a stern game. <laughs> they, they learned, like... Or they just made it for a different... They're like, we're not even going to ferry with this boat. This is just people. Like, I don't... Sounds so like, it could be the Marquette and Bessemer number two, number two. I don't know. I don't. I don't feel confident about that. If anything, we've learned Titanic two is not a good idea. <laughs> yes, Jack's back. Marquette and Bessemer number two, Junior. Yeah. What What do you call it? I because so the Steve, third Stevie and Tyler, you guys comment letting us know because you guys have boats in an article. But I thought like it was like an unwritten law of boats that you could not have the same name as another boat, and if you were. A dis- if you were making yours a descendant of the boat, like you had to go with the third or something it- to add on to it. Like you couldn't just be like, right? No, this is it's, it's bad luck. Yeah, <laughs> like, like, yeah. And I'll say, and and coming from you know also a professional company, it's not like it was just some random person's uh, little fishing boat. No, this is like a an actual industrial boat. So why would you go with? Well, that that also maybe they had OCD because. Who wants to have a number one and then a number three? Because the original boats were a pair. Um, It was the one and two. So you can't have one and three, because then everyone's going to ask about number two. Is that their way of trying to rewrite history as the boat never went down? That is a possibility. We we won't know, because it's it's so long ago that they're probably not, you know... I like the the theory that Andrew was actually googling an alternate reality where the <laughs> where boat never sunk. Everyone lived happily lives. The boat was forever used. No, but I mean, that 
We'll test that theory if we see the SS Marquette and Bessemer number two. <laughs> Get a boat and chase it down. Which one is this? This is the number four. What? <laughs> two plus two. Now, and I love water hauntings and water spirits and ghost ships and things like that. Because they don't... They don't play by the rules of normal spirits and land spirits. Um, they have their own rituals and timings. Like a lot of them, they're tied to the moon because that's what tides tides are. Um, they're tied to specific times of year, things like that. And um, so that's why I asked, like, if anyone had ever like seen this boat because usually it's the same time, same day, same whatever of the year. And to hear that, kind of, but it's more still just hearing like the whistles and cries. Right. is very interesting to me that that's what would get replayed which from and, them as we know um the the healthy skeptics in us whenever you're down on you know Presque Isle the wind the wind sounds very different there mm-hmm. which could be because that's where the jet stream is it, it could be a number of things but you hear a lot of sounds down there um, As we said, a lot of boats. A lot of boats. Um, a lot. And the wind, it, it sounds different down there on different days. So I could I could definitely hear it sounding like a cry. Maybe a boat whistle. So... Yeah, depending on how it hits the trees. If it's right. Possible. No, you could even just be hearing people lying not in the water. The, yeah. Oh, so yeah, not from this... Yeah. Particular sounds travel across that body of water like crazy. You know, you could be on a completely empty beach and it'll still sound like there's beachgoers there with you just because they're on a different beach. Mm-hmm. It's always a creepy moment. <laughs> so I know we can, any like ghost ships, like we can't actually go to the spot. We would need a lot of boats, equipment, all sorts of things, helicopters, scuba, scuba gear. So we can't really go there. Um, so like the questions of like, what would you expect are kind of different here. But if you were going to hunt for this ship, what would be like, um, can't think of the word, not like route, um, like how would you go about it? Like what would be your strategy? That was the word. My strategy is very simple. Um, it would be to try and, on a clear as possible day, do an aerial trip the entire intended path between the two ports to get an idea of roughly, you know, where it goes so that I can get at least that aerial view of, okay, these are the likely areas and factoring in a storm, then kind of go a couple nautical miles in the opposite directions the, the lateral directions and kind of see what's going on there and then I would probably would prefer to scuba down in those areas I I am very doubtful that it is on the it, that its wreckage is anywhere on the direct path yeah just the the laws of the ocean the laws of water and storms break all rules of where things land it's part of the reason why debris can be washed up everywhere after a storm so i'm definitely i would start by figuring out that entire path and then kind of see okay where roughly would it be to get a more clear idea rather than um anything else like that but if if we had historical 
because uh, nowadays there's a lot of like you can actually see the it's because I know planes more than boats but uh, like the flight record you know the the travel log right? yeah the, you would know they said out here this is the tra- this is the path they took nowadays you can actually follow that that's clear for everything all types of transportation back then kind of wasn't so it'd be interesting yeah. if to have some some of that data but yeah that's that's kind of my plan if i was to do this i was gonna say i i'm very similar i as i was reading it though and i'm sure people have done this there was just nothing documented of it if you can see it by the air why don't you have someone in the water following that same path look you're right above it okay then get someone to go down or you know and I know it's hard because there are a lot of other shipwrecks in Lake Erie. But why aren't we using like radar piercing technology to, you know? We use, use it to try to find the Loch Ness monster, but we can't use right. it to find this. You just had to go a few miles, you know, west and then hit up Conneaut and see if you can find it. But part of me thinks too that as a Holy Grail. That's that's part of it. They don't. It's not necessarily. It ruins. You the don't want to find it. Yeah. yeah. Because then the search is over. It's kind of like the the whole Bigfoot thing. the The fun of Bigfoot is the search. What do you do if you find a Bigfoot? And then there there's no more hunting for Bigfoot. Like, um, so I don't know if that's part of it, or if, as we've said, you know, for all we know. Anything that was left of the ship has gone off, you know, Niagara Falls. Like, water, the the ship itself, a lot of it was, you know, wooden. Um, Like, obviously, there was was metal to the ship, but most of the ship was wooden. And if you have ever seen waterlogged wood, (laughs) like, it disintegrates. Like it, and the bottom of the lake is constantly changing, so it it might not even be in the lake anymore, for all we know. No, and the one thing too, like that I think makes it extra hard is Lake Erie is a very dirty, muddy, and like dark lake. Mm-hmm. So if you see it from air, you could see the silhouette, but that could also be like refracted from a different position. So if you do get down there scuba diving, you might not be able to see. That was where I was thinking as well. Like, <laughs> you you could be ten feet from it and you'd have no idea, and you would have to just call it off. You could literally be standing on the ship. Like, yeah. And huh. So I mean, the debris could move. It could keep breaking and deteriorating. It could be like in the mud and the bed and the foundation. But like, even with just how dirty it is, like I don't. I don't see how you'd be able to get down there and and see it because that's always the criticism I've heard from people that have tried scuba diving in the lake or have wanted to. It's is, so dirty. It's so dirty you can't see anything. So you go into black, the deep dark. It's like being in the deep dark recesses of the ocean because you just can't see anything. Yeah, I'd rather just waterboard myself in a closet. <laughs> it's essentially same the same thing. thing. Yeah, <laughs> but so I mean, it'd be interesting to like 
kind of like just think like all the people that have gone in the search for it to see like how close they physically were to the rack yes. and they just give up like ah we we got to call it off we've been down here too long i'll say i i can't think of any like one specific but i know historically that is one of the most common things in any kind of like legit history treasure hunting it's always like you find out 40 years later that the people that first found it were like 20 feet off and you're like if you had literally just threw a stone and walked to where it was you would have found it yeah yeah and I, i think part of it too is like if you don't see it or like you don't find it on the first trip it's defeating yeah, it's yeah. defeating, and then like you said, the thrill of it being lost, and that legend is part of it there, but like, if you do find it, you are that hero, but there's not much to it. Like, it was just a fairy ship. It may have possibly had $50,000 in coins, it may not have. Because like, I personally, I think it would be weird for a train ferry ship to have that much right, that money much, in yeah. a safe. Um, I could see, like, the sailors' personal funds, belongings, but, like, 30 people in $50,000, like, that doesn't... Yeah, you're, you're doing a routine trip that you do every day. Right. You're not going to be walking in with almost 10, you know, $10,000 on you. Right. Like, yeah, it's a little weird. And, like, I could see, like, needing it for, like, some sort of, like, transactions with the other company or... But, like, I just... I really believe, since that's not 100% factually known... That that is just a rumor, and like part of the legend. I'll like, say to there keep, could be this keep the interest in it. It's that healthy padding, because like if you would find it, like oh man, you found like the holy grail of ghost ships. But then if there's not that money, you've got these chunks of boat that you can donate to museums, and that's kind of it. For someone like me, that's awesome. Yeah, but to, to a lot of the big treasure hunters, it's like you're spending millions of dollars to, to do find this, this well, and you can't. Nothing. We all know Tutankhamen, who found his tomb. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We all know King Tut, but we have... I'm sure I could Google it, but I can't tell you offhand who found his tomb. Yeah. Well, to be fair, though, like, everyone that found that tomb also died, so... True. <laughs> but that's also more to do with Tut than, than the discoveries. Um, but, yeah, yeah, that is kind of the thing. Like, the fame would eventually die out and I mean unless you would go to a maritime museum you wouldn't even really know that yeah. it was found eventually Yeah, you would just see the remains so I could see the legend of it being so big that someone tries once maybe twice and they just deem it you know not worth it right or we could do even deeper research and you know we'll look into the SS Marquette and Bessemer number three <laughs> And we find out that, you know, the ship, it was actually found, you know, 50 years ago. It just, like, it just it, yeah. repurposed, reused. Back. In the in the Marquette Investment number four. Ooh. What if, what if it's a cover-up? And the Marquette Investment number two was actually found, and they put it into witness protection <laughs> as the Marquette Investment number two, number two. <laughs> No, no, no. That's why they didn't change the name, because it was the same boat. <laughs> Ooh. To avoid insurance I'll claims say, for the crew, they're like, 100% no, no. insurance fraud. Yes. Right. It's right there. We, we, we put the stern gate on you. What, de- what debris of the ship was found? 
Because we know lifeboats. What debris of the ship was found? Um, the only thing that was ever found was wood that matched the color of the ship. Oh yeah, we found we been. we discovered <laughs> the conspiracy the... <laughs> theory. This is this is a cover up. The Marquette and Bessemer number two is actually the Marquette and Bessemer number two. Number two. <laughs> what if and if it... you're confused at home, it's okay. What if it was an Ocean's Eleven scheme gone wrong? Like they knew there was fifty thousand dollars in the briefcase and in the safe, but the storm hit. They argued. Captain got killed. The other guys tried to to take off with the money, and and ended up nobody made it. Ah, but but, half the crew is still missing. Yeah, that's. I was about to say. I was like, wait, wait, wait. DB Cooper. They coopered the money. When they came back on the Bessemer number one. Serious question though. When when was DB Cooper's famous flight? The sixties. Seventies ish. That's going to say late 60s, early 70s. This is where he got the idea. That could be. Ooh, when he jumped out of the plane, he landed on, on the Marquette investment number two. two. Number two. <laughs> I think we just came up with a couple new theories that, uh. Sorry, folks. That's what you're going to get because we can't visit these locations. Yeah, you're going to end up getting our theories of what actually happened. And the serious with, ones and the joke ones. But And with it, too, like I said, because of the way water haunts and stuff go, no, everything's just theories about why they are and what they do. Yeah. So you're going to hear our theories too, but we also want to hear your theories. Yes. So put them in the comments. If you're in the chat, put them in. I'll put up a little poll with our uh, each one with one of our theories, and we'll see which one gets the most votes. Um, and, and you're you're all wrong. Pigeon is the greatest sidekick <laughs> for for ghost hunting. Yeah. Whatever. I'm gonna ignore that. No, but. Uh, this is definitely an interesting one. I think this was a, a good one. It was a fun one to kick off our nautical streak with. Um, any final thoughts from either of you on the Marquette investment number two, the first? <laughs> I had to think about the way you said that. Um, well, uh, and I love the story. Um, it has everything that uh, a good legend um, needs. We have... Historical fact, we've got murder, potentially, allegedly. We have unknown details and conflicting stories. And, you know, we have basically a hundred-year legacy of this legend that I, I agree that, at least I hope, but I'm sure it will be, will remain a, a legend for another hundred years. It, it's... It's a very intriguing story that we have very few answers to. I definitely... I hope that... Like... Nautical enthusiasts and... uh, History buffs and... This area... Because this does span... This is part of Erie, but it's also part of Conneaut and part of... Like, there are these areas and I hope that... it remains as that kind of like local legend i don't expect this to you know continue to be this giant nautical no. legend of go to the great lakes and search for the ss yeah. best marquette and bessemer number two the original not the second one i <laughs> i realistically see this um as it goes further and further away from that original time i think it's going to be just down to 
local people that are interested in that history and maybe some uh, treasure divers, I think is what they call themselves, the people that uh, go down specifically looking for treasure and shipwrecks. So um, I imagine that that's kind of what they're going to, what what's going to keep it alive. And I, I'm definitely conflicted. I hope that they never find it. But at the same time, I kind of want them to find it to put to re- like. I really right. It's it, it's one of those where if it's found, then everything prior to it has been justified, and you know it it goes from being a legend to just history in fact. But that also you know takes away the ro the man the romanticism of it. Like, yes. Like yes, you want the answers, but then it's like oh. Then the story's over. Yeah. That's... The romantics of the 1870s were, were right. This is... The story is, is way more interesting. Um, but just to throw one last thing in here, um, we're often reminded, not just in this story, but... Um, legends always are rooted in some kind of fact. It's just... As we said, there's more of the fluff. There's more of the extra yes. things, the padding to make it more interesting. Um, but as, as we've learned in some of these uh, ghost stories that we've covered before, as well as some of the things just in our own lives, we've we've found that sometimes the fact is way stranger than the <laughs> yes. fiction. Yes. So uh, I, I would not be surprised that if this ever does get discovered, like the actual shipwreck, that if, if we find way more crazy things than what was actually part of the legend so i mean there's that other little piece to hoping to find it so yeah that's that's my last little thing is you know i also want to say instead of gold diggers can we call them gold divers gold divers (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes we can but i think that does it on the marquette and bessemer number two og um like and subscribe for more. Remember, you can catch the audio format wherever you can get your podcasts from. But we've had yes. fun here. Come back next week. We'll be investigating some more. Yeah. For Thanks, another... guys. Who's ghost shanties? Ooh. See? Who's ghost shanties? I've been thinking about that for the last couple minutes. <laughs> Love it. Who's ghost shanties brought to you by the Or Boys? Ooh. Or Buoys. <laughs> oh, snap. We have unloaded the clip in episode one. <laughs> it's all downhill from here, guys. <laughs> we emptied it. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. You Stay in the light.